Welcome. Welcome to Champions for NorCal Kids, a podcast designed to highlight the great champions and work of the youngest members of our community in Northern California. Join us, First Five Shasta Director Wendy Dickens and First Five Tehama Director Heidi Mendenhall as we discuss topics that are focused on children ages zero to five and of course their families. Our goal is to inspire, empower, and cultivate a sense of community filled with hope and connection. Well, hello, Heidi. Hello, listeners. We are going to talk early education. Let's do this. I think, you know, um, for me, this is a very passionate area. I know um, I can't speak for you, Heidi, but I'm pretty sure you share in that passion. Uh Yes, passion shared. (laughs) (laughs) We're pretty passionate people. I know we say often, oh, we're very passionate about this. I'm pretty sure listeners couldn't tell at all that we were passionate about anything. But anyway, um, but this is definitely obviously for me, one of the areas of greatest passion currently, just because, you know, I got my bachelor's degree in child development and I was a preschool teacher myself. And I know you, Heidi, have some background and then working for first five, obviously zero to five early education is a a component of what we want to make sure that we're talking about, how we're helping make sure that people understand early education and the importance of that, as well as really what does it mean to have early education in a child's life? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. What does it mean? What does early education mean? Um, And when we talk about it, and for context, early education is the learning, the necessary learning that has to occur in a child's young brain, um, really starting at birth, but highly focused at around two and a half, three, in order to prepare their foundation of lifelong success. So not just foundation of success in their schools, system or even lifelong success in education, but really lifelong success. And so early learning and early education includes opportunities for children to learn and for their brains to develop the foundation of social emotional skills, language skills, physical development skills, emotion regulation skills, cognitive skills like reading, writing, math awareness, problem solving, and um, my personal favorite, they're, they're problem solving through scientific reasoning, right? Because- Right, I know. I think people don't realize how much really is happening and that foundation, which we've kind of described in the past, really is important. And it's like having a house or a building with a very strong foundation, you're going to be able to do things to it that are different and e- more easily completed if you have that strong foundation, as opposed to a foundation that has a crack in it or a break or, you know, and needs repair, right? It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just makes it much more difficult. So if we can get people to understand laying the foundation for that early brain development through all the things you just talked about is going to be much more helpful, even if intervention has to happen later on in a child's life, because they've already got the foundation, those brain pathways are built and are sturdier. And I think that we often don't recognize that because we we've minimized it for so long. Um, and that, you know, fact is that even when we have had teenagers watching children, why is that successful? Because they're down on the floor playing with those right. children, right? They, you don't have to know, you don't have to have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or any, you know, to know that being on the floor with a child playing with them is going to be the most helpful in their brain development. Um, but there are things that really do come from having quality 
early educational settings, right? Having people who understand what they're doing is mattering to that child's brain development. Well, and we look at um, the, you know, national and really global understanding of what what creates quality for an early learning or an early education system. It isn't a fancy building, right? It isn't whether that early learning setting happens to happen in a home with a small family childcare or whether that early learning setting happens in a greater business. It isn't whether that early learning setting happens in a big fancy building like Google's early learning setting is obviously fantastic and and fancy. But the biggest single predictor, the two biggest single predictors of quality is the education of that early learning provider and the relationship ability of that early learning. Relationships, right? Like we humans thrive on relationships. And I know that we have these new platforms where you get to interface just on the computers and do things like that. However, you know, when we're talking about children, it's about the relationship and giving them an iPad or a phone or some other smart device to utilize for learning is not as successful as having a relationship with someone because it's not interactive in the same way. There's research around the Delta brain waves that are different when you're learning on a device as opposed to learning in person. So we have got to stress the importance of relationships. They're what make this world go round. And yes, we can do a lot of our work on these devices that we have. However, nothing takes the place of a true relationship. Um, And so we need to, I love that you said that because it's important and stressing that. And the research out there shows that time and time in many different areas, but especially in early education. So So making sure we do that. Like if we dig into this a little bit. So something that First Five has been really um, powerful with and many of our early learning educators are so skilled at early literacy, right? We understand and know that early reading, early writing, early talking um, really provides that strong foundation for reading. And we know that reading is critically important in the life. Okay, so we know all this. And we also know that children learn through relationship and the kind of relationship that an early learning educator provides is really the the accelerator, right, of this learning that can happen specifically around reading. So one of my favorite quotes is there's no app for that lap, right? I love that quote. That's like an amazing quote, right? No app. For that lap. Yet, oftentimes in our early learning settings, particularly when you get more children, so different regulations um, ask for different amounts of children. If you are teaching four and a half year olds in a TK setting, you have a lot more children than you have if you're teaching four year olds in a license 22 setting, meaning that you're governed by different um, opportunities and you have more teachers to children, right? Right, right. So oftentimes we think, or even as parents, we want to know like, okay, I want the best learning, the best learning. I know this iPad, um, you know. Do you have these things? Yeah. Yes. And I can do letter matching or I don't, I don't have to buy the board game. If I do it on the iPad, just have them letter match on the iPad or how we test knowledge on the screen, right? Okay. So one of the rotations in the TK classroom might be to use Lexia or to use whatever, you know, the common app that might be. And I just think if we can take a pause and think about what we know to be true about these four-year-old brains and how they learn, what could be done different? How could we utilize relationship and or hands-on play-based learning to get the most bang for our buck? 
in that time period. Um, and I don't think either of us are proposing that there never be an opportunity for them to learn apps. We oh. are an app-driven society. However, there's going to be plenty of time in their young lives to do that. And, and it's interesting to me to listen to new parents right now because some of them are like, yeah, they can run this thing better than I can and get through all of that. And they're three. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But what about their social emotional development and being able to reason through something because they have a conversation with someone as opposed to running through an app, right? Those are important qualities that get structurally built during the zero to five. And if we're busy having them do the app learning, which they can do later, it is they're losing out on those opportunities, right? To interface with other people, to be able to you know, have a communication with people and learn because you're still going to need those skills. You aren't going to be able to get by in this world without learning how to communicate effectively and knowing how to regulate your own emotions and then do critical thinking. And apps sometimes aren't, you know, aren't really preparing for critical thinking skills, which is important to start to build in the zero to five. Not that they aren't, you know, not that they're going to be able to critically think everything through because that's not that's unrealistic expectation <laughs> but you're building the foundation for that right you're building some of that knowledge base like oh when i do this this is what's going to happen if i think about this i can make this happen right so i think it's just really being aware and co cognizant of how much time are you allowing a child to be on an app and how much are we doing our teaching on apps instead of in the lab without the app so that's the other piece when you said there is no app for that lap. You know, a lot of times you're seeing parents with the kid in the lap, but they still have an app. So what is it that we can do? I sound like Dr. Seuss. Well, no, what I, can we do? In the lap without the app. Be in the lap without the app. That's the quote for the day. In the lap. Oh, and I think the other, you know, the piece to lift up out of there is that the the time frame, the sensitive period in time when we can really develop a strong foundation of your critical problem solving, critical thinking, social emotional communication skills. And it, like we talked about, it lays the foundation. And so asking yourself as a teacher, as an administrator, as a family, as a community member, is there a way that this child can be more engaged? Is there a way that they can be more playful? Is there a way I can be in more relationship with this child as they are learning? Could they be in more relationship with each other? I think it's critically important as we think about accelerating learning and wanting to support as much learning as possible and often feel pressure from all different places that we also ask ourselves, if I want to accelerate learning, how can I engage in relationship and engage in a play more? Because that truly is what is going to increase your foundational learning and, and your bang for your buck. Definitely, definitely. I think the other piece is like helping everyone on all levels understand that early childhood education is of the utmost important, right? So we know that at the state level, things are changing and shifting to have some of the services provided by a larger you know, agencies done through the social services realm instead of through the educational realm. And so a lot is being shifted, which is good and fine because we are also looking at holistic right. and whole family approaches, which as first five, we totally advocate for because a family needs a holistic approach. You have to look at the whole family. You have to help support the whole family and not just one segment of the family or one member of the family, right? So you need to look at what's happening educationally, what's happening health 
mental health and physical health, what's happening, all of those pieces to help the family support the zero to five development. The thing that I'm hopeful for, though, is that while they're doing this and while they're moving forward, they don't lose sight of the fact that early education is of the utmost importance and that they start reverting back to old language and old thoughts around what does that really mean and what does that look like and calling it just childcare because there is nothing wrong with childcare. We all have had opportunities, but what when we term it like that and words matter, we've talked about this in past um, episodes, what, words do matter. And when you say childcare, people automatically go to babysitting. That isn't what's happening in these centers. It isn't what ha is happening even in family childcare facilities, right? They are really giving an educational opportunity to children and they are taught different things, they're learned, you know, you have to have a certain number of early childhood, you know, units. And so going and calling it that just, in my opinion, minimizes some of the thought around the early education that is happening in those settings. I think it's really critical to kind of just drill down on that. Like, oftentimes, I call things by the wrong names in the medical field, and my husband has to correct me, right? And right. Or I might not understand the order of like what a FNP can do or what a PA can do. I don't truly even know sometimes what those acronyms mean. And I welcome the opportunity to be educated about that, right? And to be and to be helped. And so that's really what we're talking about around this childcare versus daycare versus early learning or early educator setting. There are opportunities when you have a great neighbor that watches my kids sometimes, and my hope is that they stay alive, right? Like that's what I want them to be, that's goal accomplished. <laughs> but when I am taking my child to a family childcare setting in which they're getting an early learning experience, I'm looking for somebody that has education and on hopefully a bachelor's level degree in child development or early childhood education. I am looking for somebody who does ongoing professional learning because they are staying at the top of the game in their field as a professional. Um, and I'm looking for somebody that calls themselves an educator because that is what they're doing is that they're educating our children. And it is such a nuanced and skilled profession that we really need to honor that the same way we honor all educators. And I'll take that one step farther and, and tie the line. There are, you know, I, one four and a half year old can go to many different settings. And in one setting, they might be called a TK and then they have a TK teacher. In another setting, they're at a preschool center with a preschool teacher. And in another setting, they're at a family childcare home with either they call themselves a preschool teacher or an early childhood educator. But in all three of those settings, I want them to have child development knowledge. I want them to have right. early childhood education units because that's what we know that research says increases the outcomes of children if they have the education in early childhood education. Right, and I think it's so valuable to recognize that and to recognize that the educational attainment that these professionals have is sometimes the same or greater than that of a K-12. The K-12 are not required until recently, they were not required to have child development in their backgrounds. And knowing child development helps you have age appropriate expectations, which is one of the things that Strengthening Families talks about for parents. And so if you have a parent who's engaged and interfacing with a teacher who loves that teacher or that professional, if they don't have a child development background, they're not going to support the parent the same either, right? And so knowing that we often are 
as a society utilizing teachers in multiple ways, fair or not fair, uh, we do. That is important for parents who have, you know, maybe not as much knowledge about what's age appropriate to get from some of the settings that they interact with, right? So their own, you know, healthcare facility should have some knowledge, you know, your pediatrician should know what's age appropriate, but also so should the educator in your child's life. And to know that there are teachers still teaching because there's a grandfather clause that if, you know, the principal of the school doesn't think you need to have that uh, education, you don't have to go back and get it. So only newer K-12 teachers have that child development background where it talks about age appropriate behavior, expectations around sitting in a seat for any length of time, around all the pieces and parts and learning and, and how we structure educational environments sometimes isn't as conducive to certain learning styles or even the young active learning brain, because we know that you have to provide in multiple different ways learning opportunities and children who are three, four, five, and even to six are not necessarily gonna sit to learn. We don't learn auditorily most often. We need some hands-on experiences, right? And so, you know, I think it's just really important that we recognize that as we're moving forward, we have, I appreciate the educational sector very, very much. I think that a teacher's job is difficult, uh, preschool teacher, especially when we're asking, you know, any of that, what you just talked about, any of those settings to handle children in a way that's going to be helpful to their development, we have high expectations for them. And we need to also support their learning as a professional. And we also need to support them as professionals. And maybe we need to also look at how are we setting up the environments even at K-12, right? Because we often broach into kindergarten, right? And TK is now a part of a lot of school districts. Um, and sometimes they're using their kindergarten teachers down into TK and moving teachers around. So I think it's just really important for us to be thoughtful about that. And how do we as first fives or a society or a community support those different arenas so that we can advocate for that at the state levels and make sure that we're supporting everybody on all the levels that we need to support them on. So, you know, so what do we do with that? What now? I think if I'm a family member and I have questions about figuring out which setting is perfect for my four-year-old, my three-year-old, my five-year-old, um, you can utilize our R&R. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> you can use the Shasta County Office of Ed resource and referral to kind of find out what some options are out there. You can call the districts that you're in, ask about the TK programs, ask questions, ask what kind of child development background the teachers have, you know, get, get educated about what it is that their philosophies are and do they value the early childhood education piece. If I'm a teacher of any of those settings, um, above all, remember that you're an educator, elevate yourself and remember that you are a vital component to early education and for sure. yourself as such. And look for ongoing professional learning or ongoing college credits. And you can utilize quality counts to support much of that work or find out what those opportunities and professional learning opportunities are, right, Wendy? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, there's definitely, um, for sure, some opportunities that could be of assistance, you know, there's often free educational uh, materials. <laughs> there is also free trainings that are available often. And, you know, you can just really look at 
how to get some support from your peers through some of the things that are happening within the counties in our area, but also across the state. And I really feel strongly that if you have questions, you can call or talk to somebody at First Five. And Alexis Duffy is one of our coordinators for Quality Counts, and she can definitely answer questions and point you in the right direction for your specific county. I think, you know, obviously, you know, Shasta County Office of Education for Shasta County and Dehama County, and then other offices of education for other counties are going to be helpful or whoever has your resource and referral, which isn't always the Office of Education, but they're both helpful. And I think, you know, knowing where to get some support, because that is the other piece that I see sometimes that doesn't happen for those who are in early education specifically is that they don't have a lot of avenues for feeling like they get support and or be are supported at all as professionals and knowing and elevating. I loved how you said that, Heidi, elevating yourself because you are, you are a professional in this. You are important. You're a vital, as Heidi said, piece to the learning and, and foundational brain development of that particular child that's in your care. And you're seeing every day and teaching because that's what you're really doing. You're teaching and helping and modeling and, you know, and, and oftentimes it's not just for the child that you're modeling things for, right? You're modeling for the parents. So you deserve to be treated and respected as the professionals you are. And so get the support you need around that, um, you know, so we'll also have some links in our, you know, description, obviously, but, you know, the other thing is, is I just recently did a mom's everyday spot and, you know, we won't talk about the name. I, I do wish that, you know, channel 1224 would change the name again, but they just changed it to this anyway, mom's everyday spot around quality, you know, counts North state and how you pick a quality childcare facility um, and what that really means, right? And what you're looking for. So, you know, you can look for that as well, but, you know, Heidi touched on many of those components already, so we won't go back into it, but definitely want people to understand that you have a voice as well to help advocate for these things. But also if you're in it and you need support, there's support out there for parents and for early educators. And, you know, making sure that you reach out and ask questions and get more information is going to be the best way for you to find out what those things are in your community. And then lastly, I really want to say, you know, if you're an administrator or a director of community-based organization or director of a early childhood education center, you know, this is your role too. If you are an administrator and you maybe only oversee one teeny tiny little four-year-old program, reach out to Quality Counts. You can look for California Preschool um, Network there and also California Early Childhood Online. They all have free professional learning that is specific for that four-year-old age range that may be called TK. And also take the time to ask yourself, do we have teachers on site that have child development knowledge and be mindful that that child development knowledge and that education is really what's going to provide the quality setting for your four-year-old setting. Definitely. You know, you can advocate for your program, advocate for yourselves. And, you know, I think that there's also opportunities for you to advocate at higher levels if you need or feel appropriate. And, you know, even giving us some information that could be utilized you know, Heidi and I are regularly on state phone calls where we get an opportunity to have discussions with the senator or, you know, congresswoman in our area. And so we can have these kinds of discussions around early education and the importance of early education 
but we also talk to you know those who are in charge of the specific you know areas departments within those so the social services department will often get to talk to them so know that we can be a channel for you as well as the office of education which is one of their roles within your community is to advocate for certain sectors within the educational field and early education is a part of their role as well so know that they can advocate so be in touch with them if you feel like there's something being missed you know nothing's going to happen overnight at the state level nothing's going to happen overnight you know but we can definitely um, be thinking about how we can verbiage it and how we can continue to have that conversation because the more often you have the conversation the more likely there will be change again though anything legislatively takes longer so start doing your change on the you know ground floor we talk about grassroots efforts all the time because they are the most effective initially that's what's going to get you where you need to go and that's where we make see change happening most quickly doesn't mean it's the full change always, but definitely can happen more quickly at the grassroots level at, at your level. Um, so know that you as a parent as a, you know, educational person at, at any level, whether it's administration or you as an early educator can definitely have some influence. One voice is what it takes. So and once you get one, you get two, you get three. So be the leader, be your leader. Thank you for digging into this. It's such an important topic. And thank you for hanging out and having this conversation with our early education lens. We appreciate you. Yes, we appreciate you very much. And we covered a lot today. So if you have questions, feel free to reach out to Heidi or I and the information will be in our bio link. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to check out the links in the podcast or go to our websites, www.first5shasta.org or www.first5tehama.org for any additional information, resources, or needs. You can also directly email either of us, Wendy at W-D-I-C-K-E-N-S at F-I-R-S-T 5-S-H-A-S-T-A.org or Heidi at H-M-E-N-D-E-N-H-A-L-L at F-I-R-S-T-5-T-E-H-A-M-A dot com. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and you'll join us again. Remember, it only takes one person in a child's life to make the difference in building resiliency. Will you be that person? <laughs>